Hey everybody, today we're going to be speaking with Jason Bay and this is going to be a real terrific episode for all these early stage companies that are out there that are wanting to start with their outbound process. So we're going to be talking about how to set up your outbound process, tools to use, how to create email campaigns that actually work and speak to the client and know how to speak to the client. So we go really into depth with this, including some statistics on open rates, reply rates, and what you should be seeing. So really listen in, grab a pen and paper. Jason really uh, shares all of his knowledge with us and has a really good episode. Looking forward to it. Startup Sales is a podcast about what it's really like to get a business off the ground. We talk with founders, CEOs, and sales VPs from the high-tech market. You'll learn how to build and scale a sales team. You'll also hear about the growth challenges and tough decisions from others who have had both successes and failures. And now, your host of the Startup Sales Podcast, Adam Springer. Hey, everybody. Before we get started in this episode, I know that you're eager to get going, but I wanted to ask for your help. We want to get the word out there more that uh, this podcast exists. So if you're finding value in this and you really are enjoying this, would you mind please sharing this with your colleagues or putting it on social media as much as you can so that we get the word out there and we could continue to deliver more and more content like this? Really appreciate your help and uh, thank you very much. Jason, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be on the show, man. Looking forward to it. Really excited to hear about what you're doing and everything. Can you share with the audience? Sure. Yeah. So I run a company called Blissful Prospecting with my wife, Sarah. And essentially, the reason why we started this is that I sort of went through my own pain points, you know, working with startups, being a consultant, trying to figure out like how to actually grow a sales pipeline beyond word of mouth and referrals. And when I left my job in 2014, and had to find consulting clients, I sort of went through, well, how do I use LinkedIn? How do I use cold email? What's this cold calling stuff? And spent a couple of years figuring that out for myself. And then I just had been into one too many meetup groups. Uh, if you're here in the United States, the meetup groups are you know, the networking groups where you can kind of go to and people pitch their stuff. And I just wasn't in front of people that could actually say yes to me. So the reason why we started Blissful Prospecting was that I noticed a lot of startup founders, a lot of small businesses were having the same sort of challenges building predictability in their sales pipeline. And that's what we help companies with now. Wow, that's uh, really terrific because I'm also finding that with my clients here in, in Israel and in Europe, that the hardest thing for them to do is like outbound, you know, because at the early yeah. stages, you don't really have a marketing team or you haven't gotten that inbound structure yet. So yeah. you still need to go outbound and they don't, they really struggle that. So let's... Let's dive into that. What's the best way to get started with Outbound? Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, it's a really interesting challenge because the challenge that I had when starting Blissful Prospecting as well was that you know, we didn't have any case studies. So you're kind of prospecting. You don't have a lot of like clarity around who your ideal client is yet. Like all of that stuff's a little bit fuzzy. So where I would suggest starting, so there's a couple things. So I have a, a method that I call open and reply. So open the letters stand for organization, persona, engage, and then need. So the O part is the part where I would get started, and that's the organization. So that's your ideal client profile. So whenever you start with Outbound, the big mistake that people make is creating a really generic message and then sending it to all different kinds of businesses and all different kinds of personas. 
And what happens is when you get an email like that, you don't feel like that email is for you. <laughs> so it just doesn't work very effectively. So the yeah. very first thing you need to do is figure out, even if you don't have any clients yet or any portfolio or any testimonials, let's say you're like really in startup mode and you're just starting with Outbound, I would look and see, hey, who are the top two or three types of either industries or niches that I can serve that are going to be most receptive to this and who I've already found product market fit with. And then I would start with those. So find patterns in employee count, industry. There might be niches within industries. So what I mean by that is don't just say, hey, we have a solution for SaaS companies. Like be really specific. We work with B2B SaaS companies under 100 employees with under five people on their sales team. So get really super specific. So that's where I would get started and where I see most people making mistakes is treating their solution like it's industry agnostic. And you don't want to be industry agnostic because if you specialize in in nothing, you're not going to appear to be an expert in anything when you're prospecting. Absolutely. I think that's a it's a huge point that people need to pay attention to because so many people will come and say, no, but it, it works for this company and it also works for this industry or this industry. And it's like, yeah, yeah that may be true, but you want to be very specific. Start... I always tell when you're building out your ideal client profile, if even if you have like five different industries that you could service, go for the easiest and quickest first, the the low-hanging fruit, and target them first. Yeah, that's so important. The other thing too is that what you start doing, if you say, hey, I'm going to specialize in this and I'm going to go after this ideal client profile, you start being able to build a system that will help itself and feed on itself. So in other words, you start getting clients and then now your clients that you get case studies from are very specific. So you can go after other clients that are very specific and you have very specific results that you can share. And it just makes it work better and better and better and more and more refined and, and targeted. That's so that in a year or two, you're prospecting and you have like three to five case studies that are really nailed down specifically for that type of business. And then the other people that you're targeting will also know who those businesses are instead of exactly. just putting, I have clients. Yeah. I, I, that's another thing that I, I see too, that you mentioned it is, you know, you, you might be reaching out to, let's say a company that's professional services and sells, I don't know, CPA services. And then you share that, Hey, we've worked with companies like Google and Amazon. Well, that's not really relatable to the CPA firm. That's only 50 employees. So you're going to start getting social proof, like you were saying, that you can share that's actually relatable to the person you're reaching out to. I think that's uh, extremely important. You were saying about the OPEN acronym. O is for organization. P, P was for what? Persona. So after you figured out the organization and the company that you want to target, then you need to start thinking about the person. So you need to have a couple layers here into your messaging. The reason why this is important is that when you write an email, the most important thing that you can do is make sure that the person feels like it's for them. So even though we're doing B2B, it's still about the person. So let me give you an example. So if you're selling, if you have some sort of software solution that helps with prospecting, a VP of sales at a company that's 500 employees, let's say, has a lot different day and structure and goals than a sales manager at that company. So uh, a guy called Skip Miller wrote a book called Selling Above and Below the Line. He digs into this. So the above the line personas are your VPs and your C-levels. They are very strategic in thinking. They're probably not on the sales floor in this case. Whereas the below the line and the line is the horizontal line. If you imagine that's where the decision is made, right? Where they come together. And most organizations have committees. They have multiple decision makers. 
So the below the line personas are equally as important because they might have just as much influence over the decision. And the messaging is going to be very tactical in nature. So like if I was prospecting to a sales organization and I wanted to help them with their prospecting, I would share really tactical information with a sales manager about subject lines they could use, email copy they could use, et cetera, where the VP of sales is going to be more like what we're talking about right now. It's more, hey, here's here are things that you can approach when you're building out your ICPs with your team and deciding who you're going to go after. Here's how you can structure this and hold your team accountable to a prospecting plan. So that persona is very important. This is another thing I see people skipping is not taking consideration who the person is that they're reaching out to and what their individual goals are, their challenges, what they're trying to accomplish, and then working that into your messaging as well. Absolutely. You really need to speak to to the person and what their pain points are. And their pain points are going to be different depending on where they are in the organization. That's terrific. Okay. And E? So E is for engage. So this is where you have to kind of pick how you want to engage the prospect. So there's been a lot of data shared around multi-channel, how many channels you should use, et cetera. So the one thing that I know for sure is that if you're just doing single channel prospecting, so if you're just sending cold emails or just doing cold calling, it's less than half as effective as using two channels. So Inside Sales did a study, I think, on around 40,000 outbound cadences. And they found that the success rate was about two and a half times when adding a second channel to your prospecting. So at a minimum, I would be doing email and phone. And then we like to combine social with that too. And then we also like to use video with email, but that's kind of the same channel. So mixing two channels together and and deciding, hey, where are your prospects hanging out? And you might be reaching out to people that aren't on social. They aren't on LinkedIn. So don't use that as a prospecting method. But at a minimum, I would choose email and phone. Do you know what the numbers would be if you're increasing it to three different channels? So on InsideSales.com report, it was like 22.5% success rate with two channels. And then it was like 24 some odd percent with three. So once you hit that third channel, you know, there's diminishing returns, as they say. So I still think you should use three, though, because you don't know. Like the point of doing this is you don't know what the prospect's preferred method of communication is. There's some people that will never respond to a cold email. But if they get a phone call and they have you know, voice, uh, visual voicemail, and they could just read their voicemails, they might be more likely to respond to that. And if the person you're reaching out to is really busy, they probably have an assistant. So you have to take that into consideration how the assistant, you know, cycles through their messages and how they read stuff too. Absolutely. It's, it goes back to the persona that you need to understand. Because if you're selling to a technical person, for example, they're not going to pick up their phone. Where a salesperson will probably more, is more likely to pick up their phone. Salespeople respond really well if you prospect properly. Like if you personalize <laughs> it and you do this stuff, salespeople love it. They'd be like, you we're know, the, okay, that's good. Let's let's chat. And then we're the you, easiest people to sell to. Exactly. <laughs> and what you mentioned too, if you're selling to really technical people, you know, engineers I've noticed don't really like to use LinkedIn that much. And you should test this, right, and see what works. But the point is go in knowing that you're gonna need to engage on at least two channels and figure out what those two best ones are. Email and phone are usually a pretty good start. Yeah. And uh, about social media, though, think outside the box, I think, because everybody looks at Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. But you have GitHub, you have Reddit, you have so many other channels, depending on what you're selling, in order to to reach people. And it's important to, I mean, I'm sure you're probably going to cover this, but I'll kind of uh, pop the bubble for that. It's important when you're 
approaching people on LinkedIn or other social media, not just to come and sell them, to also like interact with them, provide value as well. Not just come and say, hey, I, I want to uh, talk to you about this. Can we speak on Monday? It's no different than approaching someone at a networking event for the first time that doesn't know you. And you'd be like, hey, Adam, how's it going? Yeah. Anyways, my name's Jason. I'm with Blissful Prospecting and I want to meet with you to help you with your prospecting. And it's the biggest turnoff ever, right? Every You try to avoid those people at all costs at a networking event. So why don't we approach prospecting in the same way? You kind of need to get to know the person. And as a, a salesperson or anyone selling anything at a startup, don't you have to figure out what the prospect's challenges are in order to actually tell them if it's a good fit, like if you can actually help them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's really the first thing is, and what we always say is don't prospect to make a sale, prospect to start a conversation. So I'm not a fan of the murder by numbers approach and just doing a lot of automation on LinkedIn and sending a ton of messages to people. Does it work? Yeah, but you might only get one out of every 200 people to agree to do a meeting with you. The stuff that and we're talking about blocked. right now, <laughs> and you're going to get blocked. And you could potentially actually get your LinkedIn account shut off now because we're getting really picky with automation. I want to do an approach that will get five to 10 meetings off 100 uh, outreaches. That's the goal here is to really spend time personalizing it. So with LinkedIn, just treat it like a touch point. Don't do all of your outreach in LinkedIn. And like you said, share something valuable. If you posted a video or an article or anything like that you think would help them, share that with them first. And then you have permission to ask them questions about what their challenges are, what they might be experiencing, et cetera. It's a lot more work, but it's a lot more rewarding. Yeah. And you don't have that because what I hear a lot of salespeople tell me is that they feel dirty when they're prospecting. <laughs> and a lot of that reason, I believe, is because they don't have anything valuable to share. So it's a taking approach. And the other thing too, is that they haven't done the research to know what the ideal client profile is in the persona to know like what the challenges of the person that they're reaching out to are. Like when we do this for clients and when we train people, the rejection is, I'm not interested. It's not like, why the heck are you reaching out to me? You know, so if you're getting messages and people are confused about why you're reaching out to them and they're telling you to F off, basically, <laughs> you're not spending enough time researching at the very beginning. I would say 50% of the time doing prospecting should be on the list that you're working and who you're working and what their challenges are around the messaging. And then the other half can be sent, you know, spent sending the messages and all that other stuff. Absolutely. I think that's uh, very important. And one I want to take back a little bit. One of the things that you said is that when you're sending these emails, it, it's not just for outbound, it's also for inbound as well. Your purpose is not to sell them. Your purpose is not to get them on the phone. So many people will send the Calendly link and like, oh, hey, you sign up for a demo. Let, let's talk on the phone next Monday. But no, the purpose is to actually engage them and to yep. start the conversation. Because once you have them on the hook, then you could actually ask for permission to meet face-to-face -face or over the phone. Yeah, I'm not a fan of sending a cold email to someone and in the very first email, just leaving a scheduling link in there. You know, it's it's more like, hey, we help businesses like yours with this. We notice that businesses like yours tend to have these types of challenges. Is this something you're experiencing right now? Or does that sound like something you'd be interested in chatting about further? You know, it's it's something along those lines. It's not like a really hard sell. And the best visualization I can I can make is just, would you say this to someone when you met them for the first time at a networking event? And if the answer is no, I wouldn't put that in the email. Absolutely. Speak like you're actually speaking to a human being because you yeah. are. <laughs> All right. What's the N stand for? So N stands for need. 
So when you're thinking of, so this whole open acronym is really around the targeting portion of prospecting. And with need, what you're looking for is a couple things. So trigger events are important. So for example, if I am uh, prospecting and selling my services to a company, I'm going to look and see if they're hiring salespeople right now. That's a really easy trigger event that, hey, they might need sales training and help or they have the budget for it if they're hiring salespeople. And that's something I can mention in the email. Hey, notice that you're hiring uh, sales development reps right now, uh, something like that. So looking for trigger events and things that would indicate that, hey, this company has budget or has a need for what you're selling to them. And then also thinking about what is like the big win that you're delivering to these organizations. And if you haven't thought about like what the big win is, you don't really have a reason for reaching out. (laughs) So it's like really think about like, how can I help this person? Like you should never, like if you're ever hopping on sales calls and you're wondering like, I wonder how I'm going to be able to help this organization. You probably shouldn't be reaching out to them in the first place. (laughs) I know that sounds like a really obvious thing, but a lot of people go into these sales calls and don't really know or have any ideas around how they can help the person that they're talking to. Sometimes it's also just a lack of uh, research, being yep. being lazy. They never even look, open up the website of uh, or LinkedIn profile of who they're going to speak with. Cool. So you said uh, before that you're using videos in your emails. So what are you using like a Vidyard? Yeah, I've kind of bounced back and forth, but Vidyard is the one I've settled on just because it has the most integrations. So I'm able to integrate with most sales engagement platforms that'll integrate with either Outlook or Gmail. It's just the most flexible. It's not my favorite one, but it's the most flexible. It's the easiest to use. And so how are you integrating that with your uh, cadence? So the way that I treat doing extra things. So if you're going to call someone, for example, or you're going to send a video, I want to make sure that the people I'm going to do that extra effort with, because it's a lot of effort to create videos, is I want to make sure that they're engaged with what I'm sending them first. So I'm not a fan of using click tracking because that can get your emails in the spam folder, but I do like using open tracking. So if you're using a sales engagement platform, so that's a software like you know Outreach or Mixmax or SalesLoft, one of those tools that will help you automate some of these cadences, almost all of them will tell you and give you a way to prioritize based on engagement. So for example, if I sent 100 emails out last week, we tend to have a over 50% open rate And of the half that are actually opening the emails, I can see how many times they're opening it. And what you'll see a lot of times is people sending emails around inside their organization. You might have an email that was opened like 10 or 12 times in a week. And that's the people, those are the people that I'm going to send a video to. And I'm not going to mention that I saw them open the email 12 times or anything weird like that, but I'm going to take the time to personalize because they're obviously there's, there's something they're interested in. And a lot of times what I find is like the video will be kind of that tipping point to get them to hop on the phone yeah. because they're sending emails around and maybe they haven't had a chance to bring it up in one of their team meetings or they just get busy, right? And the video is like that extra little thing that solidifies the meeting usually. And it's harder also to ignore it because now you're a fa- there's a face to the name and you're yeah. a real human being uh, with a voice that they've heard and seen. Yeah, it creates empathy. Yeah, It puts a face to the email is, is what a lot of people say. And unless you have like world-class writing chops, which I, I don't yet, I'm, I'm working <laughs> on that. If you rely too much on email, you're relying on your copywriting chops. And if you're not a great copywriter, which... Let's be real. Most of the people that do sales really suck at copywriting. You're relying on your writing skills. And most of us can hop on a quick video, especially if we're selling something for 30 to 60 seconds and 
smile and be presentable and all that other good stuff. And it, and like you said, it puts a, it creates empathy. It allows the person to see who it is that they're emailing and see that you're a person and be able to make a quick judgment about whether or not they want to meet with you. You started to say that you have an open rate of uh, around 50%. With all your clients and in, in, in this B2B world, what are some of the average uh, statistics that you're getting on as far as open rates, replies, going uh, interested rates, things like that? Yeah. So, I'll give you the baseline of what you should be shooting for. And then I'll tell you a little bit more about how you can sort of get some of the uh, conversion rates that we are. The reason why I look at open rate is like it's like your at-bats, right? If people aren't opening up your emails, it doesn't matter what the email says. So it's typically subject line related. You really want to be between 30 and 50% open rates. We're able to usually get 50 plus percent and sometimes 60 or 70% by doing a couple things. If you put the person's first name and company name in the subject line, if you find a way to do that in a short way, it usually increases the open rate in our testing by 15 to 20% just doing that. So like one of my favorite subject lines is, hi, Adam, I was researching your company and dot, dot, dot. And that's, that's the subject line, pretty high open rate. So once we look at the open rate, uh, reply rates next. So reply rates are going to vary, but you really want to be at least like if you're not at least five to 10%, like something's very wrong. We'll typically on our campaigns that are doing really well, they could be as high as 15 or 20%. But with reply rates, if they're, if they're low, the thing that you want to make sure of is two things. Am I reaching out to the right person? Am I reaching out to the right company, the right persona, and is my messaging relating with them? And if they're not replying, it could be a mixture of, hey, maybe I'm not empathizing enough and talking about their goals and challenges and what they want to accomplish, or maybe my call to action suck and they're they're too pushy or they're not pushy enough. I, I mean, honestly, what I have challenges with is not being forward enough. And sometimes you just need to say, I think this would be a good fit for you. And and bottom line is I have a, a few good ideas. I understand that you're super busy. Are you free to meet this Thursday or Friday after 3 p.m. for 15 minutes so I can share a few ideas with you? You know, I just getting super specific if the person's not responding, but they're opening up your emails. Yeah. So in terms of conversion rate into meeting, again, this varies too, depending on your industry. You at least want to be converting three to six percent of the total prospects you reach out to into a meeting of some sort. And really Ideally, you're between 10 and 20% of those. But again, that's something you have to refine over time. If you're not between 3 and 6%, you really need to do a lot of work on your cadences and your structure. And again, that, that's back to messaging and call to actions usually. So 3 to 6%, is, so it's about half the people that reply are coming into meetings. Exactly. Yep. Really cool numbers. But it's interesting what you said about your, your subject line because I Jeremy Donovan from Sales Loft on here. Yeah, And he was talking about that the numbers are extremely high, much higher than normal if you have like a one or two yeah. word subject line. I so think that yours was actually the podcast I li- of yours that I listened to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. So it's interesting, but like I understand what he's saying, but then I also understand your side because yours is longer, but it's very specific to them. So bottom line is always be testing. So the the worst thing you can do is just do one approach and then not ever test it. So the subject line that I give is a good one to, to try. Um, but if I, I would also try like, and I'll use myself an example. If I'm helping people with prospecting, I might just put outbound or prospecting in the subject line and see if people open it. Or I think he recommended their first name or something like that, or their company name. 
But it's so out of the ordinary because if you look at all the emails in your inbox, I, I don't ever see one or two word subject lines ever. I wonder if that means that it's just a world full of uh, bad salespeople. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's uh, people are kind of afraid to try something outside of the norm. And the whole point of sales is to stick out. It's not to be normal and just blend in with everyone. It's to stick out. So don't be afraid to try stuff like this. Most of the sales engagement platforms make it really easy to A-B test. Absolutely. And when you do A-B tests, don't do a bunch of different things at once. If you're going to change the subject line, keep the same content inside and vice versa. So that uh, that way you actually know what's making the difference. When you're right, let's go back to email because email is probably like the, the foundation of outbound, I believe, in today's world anyways. How do you start to write the context of the emails? Okay, so I have an acronym for this too. It's REPLY. So REPLY, it stands for results, empathy, personalization, laser focus, and then you. So, and I, this is how I approach the email in this order. So for R with results, one of the first things you have to think about is for the company I'm reaching out to and then the, and then the person I'm reaching out to this company, what is the result? that I'm sharing with them that our solution might be able to help them accomplish that they also care about. So this usually comes in the form of your value prop and then also your case studies, your use cases, your testimonials, whatever it is that you're sharing. So make sure that the results is relatable to them and it's about a business goal they care about. So again, I'll use myself as an example and feel free, Adam, if you wanna use a different example for a different type of company, let, let me know too. But if I'm selling prospecting solutions, like the business result and goal that people will care about, especially like if it's like a sales manager or director of sales is, can our salespeople spend more time in front of their ideal clients, right? How many sales calls are they doing? That's the thing that they care about most is the activity metric. So if my value props are something along the lines of, hey, we help sales teams increase the time they spend in front of their ideal customers by two to three times, you know, something like that, that's, they care about that. Right. Uh, whereas like a VP of sales might be something more along the lines of percentage of quota or increasing their number of reps hitting their quotas, something along those lines. So you got to think about what result does the prospect I'm reaching out to care about most? And am I sharing case studies and things like that that sort of back up the claim I'm making and the value prop? And then am I also sharing social proof with other companies that are similar that I've accomplished this result for? All right. And uh, empathy. So empathy is, does my email copy include all of the persona research that I was doing? So I, I always like to stick to goals, challenges, and fears. So you got to think about, or you can interview customers. That's the best way to do it is because you get it in their language. So I'll give you another example with nonprofits because we prospect for nonprofits that want to do corporate outreach. So when we Prospect to nonprofits, they don't really talk about revenue a lot. They talk about impact. That's the word that they use. They want to increase their impact. And they don't refer to companies as organizations. They refer to them as corporations. So this is just stuff I figured out along the way. So with if we're reaching out to a nonprofit founder, we're talking about increasing impact. We're talking about challenges they face working with working within a nonprofit and being really bootstrapped, right? Having very limited resources, very limited budget. Those are all things that they relate to. So if I'm not talking about that in an email, what feeling am I, you know, sort of getting them to feel from my messaging? If they don't feel anything, they're not going to respond really. So if you just share, hey, we can do this and here's what we can accomplish. And you're not tying that into a challenge or a problem that they're having. What's the reason for them to talk to you? 
they're not going to feel like they that you understand them. So the prospect really needs to go from, hey, this person clearly doesn't understand my business to, hey, you're really speaking my language. So that empathy piece is the piece I see missing most, especially like as as men, I feel like we do the worst job of empathy because <laughs> it, it, it either doesn't come natural or society uh, said that we couldn't have empathy or something like that. I don't know. I don't know which of the two it, it is. It just got turned off in the head. <laughs> yeah. But I know that women do a much better job in this area than men do. So you really got to think about like, what is the prospect feeling right now? What are they, what are the challenges they're experiencing? And how do they talk about it? And make sure that that's included in your email copy. So P is for personalization. So with the personalization, what you want to make sure to do, and I'll be real quick here, is just the first couple sentences. So make sure the first one to two sentences are personalized and there's something there that shows the prospect, hey, I did my research. L is for laser focus. So a couple quick rules here is, and you can just follow these every time, your email should be less than 120 words, which is about three to five sentences. So use tools like Grammarly, and Hemingway app, they're both free to help you cut down and like make your uh, email copy more concise. What is what's Hemingway app? Hemingway app is like a web app. You can just copy and paste your anything into there actually. And what it will do is it'll tell you how hard something is to read. Mm. So a lot of the studies on on copy, for like for marketing sales copy safe, if a third or fourth grader can't, if it's not at that reading level, then it's too complicated. Yeah. So what that app will show you is like, sentences that you have that are just more complicated than they need to be. And then lastly, we have you. So another quick rule here is that I see a lot of people saying I and we a lot. And my suggestion is that the you and your ratio to I and we should be one to one or greater. So you should be saying you and your more times in the email than I and we. So instead of saying I help or we help, or I would like to hop with you uh, on a phone call with you, use you and your. Hey, you are probably having challenges with this, uh, your goals in this area, your challenges, that sort of thing. And it needs to be written to the prospect. So the you and your is like how I would be having a one-to-one conversation with you right now, Adam. I wouldn't be saying I and we and like I can do this. All I would be talking about you and your and put it in your context. I think this is, uh, I think what this whole reply system that you have, I think I, I could see my download numbers. They're going to just be, people are going to re- be repeating this section over and over again <laughs> until they understand it. <laughs> so, it's very important, I think. And uh, I think you really hit it on the hit it on the spot with this acronym. Thank you. It took a lot of work figuring out, hey, when I'm writing, because we write a lot of email sequences for our clients and we've just done hundreds of those. And when we first started doing it, it took so long. It would take like six to eight hours to write an email sequence for someone. And we're like, hey, we have to create more repeatability into this. And the patterns that we noticed were the reply acronym is, is what we came up with. When, when we're talking about the, these outbound cadences, whether you're using just email, phone, social, mixture of, how many touches should there be and over how long of a time? Uh, okay. So this is another tricky one. So I I like to use InsideSales.com's data on this. So what they mentioned was around seven to eight touches for outbound, which I usually do eight to 12. And the touches are between email, phone, and social. Since I like to do at least three touches on social, I like to do a 10 to 12 outreach. So the thing that they came up with and found the most consistent uh, consistency, excuse me, around success 
was something along the lines of at least two to three voicemails that you leave the prospect, at least two touches on social, and then the rest can be through email. So over what period of time also depends on who you're reaching out to. I would say I would use a window of three to six weeks. So if it's a really busy, high up person, and it's like a C-level person at a thousand person company, I don't want to like really pester them for three weeks straight. I might spread it out over six weeks. But if it's more of like a you know, director type person that's like really busy and very tactical and needs information right now. And it's just thinking about what can I do to make my week easier this week? I might shorten that window down to three weeks and put those 10 to 12 touches in that three week period because they're a little more receptive to that. They're not going to feel like I'm bugging them. So three to six weeks, 10 to 12 touches is probably a pretty safe bet. I like how you you put everything back to the the persona which is the right way to do it. But uh, so many people miss that. But you're even looking at the persona for the length of time that you're going to be reaching out to them. Yeah. And I cannot stress enough. If anyone tells you, hey, just do this, it'll work every time. Don't listen to that person. (laughs) (laughs) You got to test this stuff. I I can just share guidelines based on what we found works, but you still got to test it. Yeah. And, And what works for company A probably will not work for company B. Yeah. There's so many variables to prospecting, right? Yeah. What we haven't even talked about is what's on your website and your message. I mean, just because they're going to check you out there. They're going to check out your LinkedIn profile. There's just so many variables. What are the top two tips for having the website prepared for outbound? So you definitely want a industry or niche specific page. So if I'm going to prospect to nonprofits, we have a nonprofit page on our website. So when I share that with them, uh, in the email with the case study, it's got a nonprofit case study in there, and the language is specific to nonprofits. Mm. So that's tip number one. And then tip number two is apply the same type of approach as the reply method. Apply that to your, your uh, website copy too. Make sure that you're talking to the persona, not just generically to who's ever coming. Like talk specifically to the persona. Hey, you need to have that ideal client profile. Like you need to actually visualize one person and pretend that you're speaking to them. Great. So what kind of tools are you using to help implement these cadences? You you mentioned a few earlier. So there's a few that you can use. I would say if we're talking about targeting and you want to do this like pretty bootstrapped, Apollo.io is a really great data tool where you can do this type of research to build out your ICPs and your personas. So they have like, I think you get a thousand free leads when you sign up. And that's what we use for most of our client campaigns if we're doing the prospecting for people. The other tool that you can use is a combination of Sales Navigator and Lead IQ. So I'm sure people listening to this because they're startup people are pretty familiar with LinkedIn and Sales Navigator. But Lead IQ is a really cool Chrome extension where you can like actually find data on the people too. So if their email address, for example, is not on their LinkedIn profile in public, you can actually find their email address. And then you can find direct dials and things like that too. And then in terms of, you know, hey, when it's time to send out the, uh, the outreach, the sales engagement platform that I like most is Mixmax. So that's the one I always recommend. It's because it's easy to use and you don't have to have Salesforce in order to make it work correctly. So it also syncs with Pipedrive if people are using that. And if you're looking to go more enterprise and you have the budget for it, Outreach is really the industry leader in this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't like is... their platform. I'm not like a big fan of it. It's so complicated. It reminds me of Salesforce. You know, it's so complicated to use if you got a big sales organization, it makes a lot of sense to use it, but and it's expensive. I recommend it for my clients as well. It is a little bit complicated, but uh, expensive. It's what I think one hundred fifty dollars a month or something like that. So yeah, for, if you for the, the time that it IP. saves you, 
I really think as a salesperson, if I just put my salesperson hat on, it's well worth the investment. Not, not that I have any stock in them and I need to uh, defend them, but it's well worth the investment. And if you're, if you have salespeople, like the, the best thing you can do is help them remove the amount of time they spend on admin, right? That's more time they can spend selling. And that's exactly what these tools do. Absolutely. People shouldn't be manually sending out follow-up emails. They should go out automatically if the person doesn't respond. All right. Let's, uh, I got a couple more questions and then we'll wrap things up. I think we're cool. running out of time here. So what is your favorite book for sales or leadership? I would say the Sales Development Playbook by Trish Bertuzzi is probably my favorite on like prospecting and like sales development that we're talking about right now. It's the most actionable and concrete. Most of the books are really hard uh, to read just because they're not very actionable. So I would say that's the best one for prospecting. In terms of selling, I do like gap selling. That's a really, really great book. I don't really buy into a lot of sales methodologies. I think you kind of need to be methodology agnostic (laughs) when you approach sales these days, but gap selling is a great sales book. And then one that's really good for positioning is called This Is Marketing by Seth Godin. It's his newest book. It's really great. I'm reading that right now. It's it's really great for positioning and how you talk about who you serve. Yeah. And the whole concept of the of the book is essentially centered around, you know, people like us do things like this. So thinking about who is people like us and like what do they believe in and not being afraid to like disqualify a prospect because they're not a good fit for your startup. So it's taking more of that approach versus we'll work with anyone and everyone. <laughs> so I'd say those three are, are a good start. All right. What one piece of advice do you have for all the founders and sales leaders that are out there? Don't play the murder by numbers game. So don't ever, it's very tempting to just purchase a big list and just start dialing or just start sending emails. It might create a lot of activity, but don't mistake activity for achievement, as they say. So make sure that you're spending the time to really figure out who are we serving, who are the people at those companies, and like really develop like a playbook around the messaging. And once you have this, you have a document that's like a working draft that just gets better and better and better as you get more feedback. So don't be tempted to play the murder by numbers game is my biggest advice for startup founders because I know that they have investment and there's still a lot of pressure around getting results. Just don't be tempted to do that. Absolutely. That's terrific advice. Great. Jason, really appreciate you coming and uh, sharing all this insight with you. How could people reach out to you and learn more about what you what you're doing? So a couple of ways. First, I'd recommend checking out blissfulprospecting.com slash Adam. So I created a special PDF for you guys to get started with video prospecting. So it's basically a guide that's going to tell you like when to use video, how to use it, and how to get started in like five or 10 minutes. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And then blissfulprospecting.com is is the best way. You're going to find content on there, links to our LinkedIn posts that we put up, our guides, articles, book recommendations, tool recommendations, our newsletter, everything you can find at blissfulprospecting.com. Great. I'll put those links in the uh, show notes as well for everybody. Awesome. Jason, thanks again. Cool. Yep. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for listening to Startup Sales with Adam Springer. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Contact Adam about speaking engagements or consulting services at adam at startupsales.io. 